0: Hi, pals. Matt Welch here doing one of our periodic little one-on-one interviews we like to do on the uh, members-only channel. i like to sprinkle into the mix. This one is with Asaf Zamir, a 43-year-old Israeli politician of the center-left, if those terms even mean anything anymore, which we get into. Um, we have here on the fifth column talked to all kinds of people. Over the past couple of months with various different uh, perspectives related to Israel Hamas, Eli Lake, Peter Meyer, Orrin Kessler, Matt Duss, most recently Shadi Hamid. Um, the through line hopefully isn't necessarily that everyone agrees with one another, but that they kind of know what they're talking about. They're bringing something to the table um, uh, about either the issue or various chunks of the issue. Um, they tend to be the types of people who can keep it real, maybe even have a laugh or two and also help us understand not just what they think, but how they think, what are the thought process that go into, uh, the positions that they have arrived at the issue. This sort of helps, I don't know about everybody for the whole class, but it certainly helps me try to understand or begin to not be quite as ignorant as I and I'm sure many other people tend to feel like we are when dealing with such a um, consequential and complicated issue. So Asaf is a uh, candidate right now for deputy mayor of Tel Aviv in forthcoming elections that have been postponed because of October 7th. Um, He's assumed to be the sort of heir apparent to the long-running incumbent mayor of Tel Aviv. Before that, he was the... um, Uh, uh, consul general in New York City right here until he very showily resigned in March 2023 to protest Benjamin Netanyahu's uh, judicial reforms or parts of them Um, before that he had been the uh, country's tourism minister where he also showily resigned in 2020 to uh to protest Benjamin Netanyahu about this or that. Um, he is a, a definitely a cosmopolitan cat. He's uh, married to beautiful Israeli actress and heiress named Maya Wertheimer. This uh, conversation was recorded on December 2nd, so a couple of things may be slightly out of date, but we tried to focus on things that would have more staying power. Um, those of you who are just getting this little free tease... At the top, uh, you can always listen to the whole thing um, by subscribing, That's sort of the point. We love to do these little extra bonus episodes for you on average of one a week um, and to say thanks to our paying customers. Um, this, is the, this is kind of what we uh, enjoy to do. So um, without any further ado, let's listen in on me talking to Asaf Zimir. Thanks for joining the fifth column. My pleasure today. So, um, let's start by just walking us through where were you October 7th? Um, and what was that like to experience?
1: I was in bed. Uh, it was very early in the morning on Saturday. It was the first day ever that me and my wife gave, uh, let our three-year-old daughter sleep over at her grandma's. Oh, so we were alone in the house went to bed very late, and didn't wake up. There were alarms all over Tel Aviv. Rockets were being intercepted in the sky.
0: A little hungover is what I'm hearing. And we,
1: were, didn't, wake, we didn't wake up. <laughs> wow. And uh, three hours into the thing, my wife woke up and woke me up and said, uh, we have to wake up. I think we're, we're at war. And uh, mansplaining to her, I said, I think you're overreacting without even looking at the, uh, we're probably not at war, you know. And then I opened my phone and I saw that it took it took all of Israel half a day to understand what's happening because in retrospect it was such a big event you like nothing that's ever happened you couldn't um, scope would that be the word yeah you couldn't so scope that that too big to process too big it was way too big to process and you opened the TV you heard uh, the TV anchors interviewing people from their uh, bomb shelters or safe rooms that called into the news to say, help me come get us out. The army isn't answering. Police aren't answering. Uh, My father was abducted. My mom was shot in front of me. And you sat, all of Israel sat and listened to these stories in live. They Didn't know how many terrorists came in from Gaza. They didn't know uh, how many rockets were were fired. We didn't understand for the first half of the day. that's where I was. It was very, very, uh, it was a life-changing day.
0: What, talk about that life change bits. Um, I mean, the only thing that we have in memory that comes anywhere close to that kind of day and it, with similar type of it takes a half a day to figure out anything was September 11th. I think I didn't even talk for like three days after that. And I was in LA watching all this on TV. But um, after a certain period of time, there's going to be, um, you just, you know, you reacquaint yourself with the world, but you're seeing it through a new set of eyeballs. So what has changed about your thinking or your understanding of the world? Do you, what'd you think?
1: I, I, I hear the, uh, the resemblance to nine eleven a lot since I'm in the States. I do want to kind of try and point out the differences. Yeah. You know, just, um, October 7th was like 9-11 if the Taliban was in Canada. Yeah. Uh, and the ongoing process after it was keeping them from doing it again, coming back in from Canada to knock down more buildings altogether. That's one side. The second side is the, the, the size. There's not one Israeli because there's not one Israeli that doesn't personally know someone that was kidnapped or murdered or raped. It's all become family stories because in proportion, it's, I think, 15 times bigger. And the third thing is, and the world is now learning that, is the cruelty. So everyone, this is not a terror attack we've been acquainted with where there's a bomb, 20 people die, immediate death, and the the event is over. Yeah, This was multiple violent events that had a... Um, they had this cruelty to them that we've never encountered before. Because you read the doc, you read the stories and the testimonies and the sexual assault happening and the, the you know the, the, the Holocaust type stories of the kids and the parents and be, and and uh, it it was a sense of sadness, humiliation, fear, all together, and then going into war. So it, and and people continuously dying because of the war on Israeli soldiers. But Israeli soldiers is, is a word that people can't really picture. Most of them are me and you, have our own private life and are reserved back in and drafted back in to become soldiers for this war that we didn't start. How come you're not in there? Why did you I, get exempt there? I'm I'm, I'm too old right. and I wasn't combat I wasn't in combat because of my medical situation. And at a certain age if you did things that weren't combat Uh, or you're not an officer, you're not called back.
0: So you went to at least one kibbutz? I did,
1: I went to Kfar Aza. Um, People asked me, why why would you go? And I said, I'm going to be talking about this event. This is a pivotal point in Israeli history. I'm going to be talking about this a lot. I want to know, to be able to say, I was there, I saw how it looked, it was tragic, it was horrible. Uh, And and to tell what I saw. We were there at a certain point, there was a rocket fired from Gaza. We were pushed into a safe room of a house, of a family, where we were standing in the kibbutz. When we were in that safe room, turned out uh, it was the v- family that was all killed, two parents, three kids, in their house, in that safe room. So you're standing at, you're standing in, at a murder scene. On their on their blood, where you can still yeah. smell uh, the death. And we had to wait there for a few few minutes until the danger was passed. And it was very, um, it was surreal. You see things there that you thought in a Western democracy in 2023 wouldn't, don't happen they happen in movies
0: so we had a couple of a few days ago the publication or the release of the Jericho wall documents right the uh, that uh, hamas had or uh, had prepared this or mm-hmm. that the idf was aware of this talk us through what that what that's like to read that what's the import of that report and what it tells you about what the idf knew and what signals they were paying attention to or not?
1: Me? Uh, look, for for background, I was a Consul General of Israel in New York and I resigned almost a year ago over the uh, judicial reform in Israel. I I so disagreed with the government that I left this dream job I had in the middle of a, a life that I started here and went back to Israel. Um... We were very divided. I went back, there were protests. I thought the country would never heal from how divided it is. Fast forward to this war, everyone I know in Israel, except for maybe the media, which is fine, that, that's their job, is extremely united and concentrated in winning the war. When I see things, reports, uh, articles about, that are already mi- midst war, calculating back uh, responsibility, And who knew and what knew? I don't even read them.
0: It's all forward-looking.
1: There'll be a time for sure when we'll go back, look who was responsible. I'm pretty sure most people that were responsible will resign. The ones that won't, they will be forced to by the public. But now, a lot of these people are crucial in our efforts to win the war. And now, it's a make-or-break survival moment for us. Because what October 7th proved, and you asked before what changed, is... I now understand that if I don't do everything in my power to make sure I'm safe, if I don't check everything through my safety prism, I won't be safe.
0: There's a, so I've heard from people on kind of, um, there's really both sides in this situation, but on on a lot of different sides about specifically the judicial reform, why you resigned, um, that uh, either, and this is a, given either as a critique of Netanyahu or, or the like or the opposite, yeah. which is that the country was distracted, um, that the, the, the eye was off the ball because mm-hmm. there was a million people in the streets of Tel Aviv. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your response to that as a, uh, as an interpretation.
1: It doesn't of, justify, uh, doesn't packing. justify it that, anything, but it it's, 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 it's more it,
0: like about was Israel ready and did the, and did those <sighs> protests, um, uh, in
1: whatever way, uh, I think it's a, the readiness. I think it's a legitimate claim to say that the divide in Israel and the the divide and the political situation in Israel made us look to our enemies uh, weaker at a certain point. Mm-hmm. No matter from whose side it came, they said this is an opportunity because they're dealing with internal stuff. But we will always have to until we'll always have to have the ability to deal with our internal stuff. This was a reminder that we have bigger enemies than the ones inside us, and we have to unite to make sure we're safe. But the minute we'll be safe, we'll go back to fighting about the shape of the country, its democracy, its values and whatnot. But what what I think the Israeli people have proven, and maybe to the surprise of our enemies, is that even though you think we're extremely divided on something, doesn't mean we know how to unite in one second, be extremely eyes on the ball, make sure we do everything we can together, and, and, and ironically come out stronger as a society than we came into it uh, to the regret of our uh, enemies as long as we win.
0: There's a friend of mine who's an Israeli-American – actually, I'm not sure about his citizenship status here but lives here um, – was talking – where we're we recording this? Um, uh, he was over here not long ago and had a kind of startling to me interpretation of things, which is that um, October 7th ended Israel. Um, and the way that he put it or the way he's thinking about it is that the response showed to it, um, but the fact of it and then the response to it showed that the parts of Israel that are supposed to be functional were not. Um, but the parts of Israel that on some other levels kind of matter, which is the society, in the exact same way that you just mentioned, like everyone did whatever they could and they filled in all of the gaps. Mm-hmm. But there are gaps there because Israel's kind of failing as a coherent state. Does that make any sense to you that kind of way of looking at it?
1: Yes. I don't except for the first sentence, I don't think Israel ended on October 7th. I think it is has restarted. Mm-hmm. It didn't end. It restarted. It was a restart. They closed the button for a second, we re, rebooted or whatever, and now it's a new version, new priorities. And it's a moment of clarity, just like it's a moment of clarity for Jews in America. When I was Consul General here, there were very prominent Jews that were extremely critical to the Israeli governmental policies to a point where you thought they were almost anti-Israel. And it was interesting to look at them on October 7th because the same thing happened to them. They went from being critical, legitimately critical, to being extremely supportive of Israel, uh not blinking, when asked about what's happening in the region, and these are very very important politicians in the United States, uh, and they kind of reunited. So the same way they did, we did. It's a new era. It's a. Uh, uh, I used to say, you know, there's a very thin line between anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism. If you keep telling me as a Jew I don't have the right to exist in Israel, let me tell you something. That that it come it, in a way it comes from you hating Jews, and I used to be shut down. People people said. You know, they'd gaslight me and say, no, you know, we're not. We just have this problem with, with the Palestinians. We we have Jewish friends, blah, 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 blah. In two years, fast forward, we're at a point where people are bluntly saying, you don't have a right to exist. You don't have a right to exist there. You're all European colonialists. You're new to the region. You should leave. You're not indigenous. You have an apartheid, genocidal regime. You started all the wars. There was no rape. You killed most people. And you know there was an Oakland City Council meeting this week. Did you see that? Yeah, I saw it. Was on. It's 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 reached a point, even to my to my content, that you can't really be on the fence anymore. You have to decide if what happened in Oakland City Council this week is the truth and social justice, or extremely crazy. And if it's extremely crazy, then you agree with me. And and it's kind of shifting. The support Israel's getting—that it was harder for us to get before.
0: So you feel like now the there is more support for sure. Um, I, I saw when uh, I was uh, doing. I a...
1: think uh, I think we we used to tell people, listen, if if we uh, don't guard ourselves, everyone around us wants to kill us, and that's why it's hard to make peace, and that's why we have to occupy the border between us and Gaza and make sure what goes in and what's out. And people would say you're you're just saying that because, and you didn't have proof to show them. And sadly, 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 October seventh is like proof. It's like saying, look, we sat on the border of Gaza, and we took our eyes off for eight hours, and this is what happened. I mean, eight hours.
0: it it seems plausible to me. And again, I, I say preface every question with an assumption of my own vast ignorance on the on the topic, but. Um, People in Israel might well have undercounted that as well, too. Like at some point, um, all right, impotent rockets will fly in and occasionally they'll fall and land and occasionally they will hurt or maim people. But for the most part, impotent rockets are flying from Gaza and the Iron Dome takes care of most of it. This is probably – you know, they can't possibly have that much in terms of capability here. Like there must have been some kind of lulling uh, sense of sleep even right there as you're living in close proximity to people who are pretty open about not – Appreciating your existence,
1: oh. it was a scandal. From an intelligence intelligence point of view, the feeling it gave Israelis that we are safe there, that the Hamas is deterred, that it will never try in the near future to do what it did, was a intelligence scandal in Israel. It was a leadership scandal in Israel. Everyone understands that, but that doesn't make the people that are involved in the scandal the bad guys. It makes that it's it's still right. the terrorists or the bad guys still. Uh, I grew up in the center-left of Israel. I grew up in the peace camp. I'm a two-state solution person. I, I want to live in peace with all of my neighbors. Uh, I was very, very pro the disengagement from Gaza. And I had right-wing friends that said, you're crazy. Are we you leave. still,
0: by the way, of that, that move in retrospect, knowing what we know now?
1: Of course not. I mean, knowing what we know now, giving up uh, people in living in Gaza, Jewish, Jews living in Gaza— I think inevitably it's good that they're not, okay? Because if if you look at the far future, that needs to be a Palestinian entity and they need to be able to self-govern, theoretically. But the fact that we militarily disengaged to a point where we have no control over what's happening in Gaza proved itself to be wrong because people like me that used to say, if we leave Gaza, give them this, let them self-govern alone, this piece of land with all the world wanting to help them, with millions of dollars coming in from all over the world, they can potentially uplift the level of life there, the economy, the education system, and have an example of a place with amazing, uh, with amazing quality of life in the region for Arabs. And uh, if they do that, that is the, the, the cor- there's a corridor for peace. Okay, fast forward 17 years later, they took all that money, and now everyone knows. You can't say I'm wrong. Spent it all on creating the biggest terror infrastructure underground in the history of the world, in the most dense pop, densely populated place, and to use it only to target civilian people in Israel to kill them and abduct them and rape them and behead them. That's what happened. That's really what happened. You see people coming back from captivity now saying we were hid in the homes of Unra teachers. <laughs> Those are the people that hid us. And there was gas that came in Uh, uh, in the condition it would be UNRWA-owned gas and then UNRWA got the gas and then two days later UNRWA said the gas was stolen in Gaza from us and that gas is used to fuel rock but it's proved already and it sometimes uh, amazes me how even at a point where it's fully proved still people still don't believe and um, or don't care if you don't care and don't believe even if you know, the most important reporters went and checked by themselves. People sat down and saw the movie of October 7th and, and, and reported on it. If, if you're at that point, you still say it didn't happen or we deserve it or whatever. That's, I'm allowed to call you an anti-Semite. I mean, I'm allowed to say you just you have a problem with Jews. There was a very popular tweet two days ago. Uh, in a few months, in a few days, 2.6 billion people will celebrate the birth of a Jew 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem. And still, a lot of people in the world think Jews didn't exist before Palestine in the region. Um, it's a it's a it's a hard it's a hard uh, conversation to have with people that aren't willing to listen.
0: Part of what you are describing about kind of you know the um, knowing what we know now, of course, is sort of you know, it was intolerable. The status quo on October sixth mm. was actually intolerable. We learned. Um, And I've been kind of trying to process that in a lot of different other areas, like the use of Gaza, the use of Lebanon um, as kind of, uh, you know, uh, vessel states. Now Yemen also. Uh, Now Yemen also, um, not fully fledged independent entities, self-governing entities on their own, but they're used for their proximity in large cases to Israel, to harass and stuff that that is in intolerable on some level um and should be thought particularly by the people who live there and and i think that um more people in lebanon are are kind of coming around to that point of view now that that's just you
1: you need to be your own state yeah but you don't hear enough of them saying that i'm sure you just like just like you never hear uh in the past few years not weeks one voice coming out of gaza saying you know we're, we're we're the we're the center left of Gaza. We we're the peace camp. of you, you don't hear that. We we are the ones that think Israel is okay. We can live a, alongside them. You know you don't hear that in Yemen. You don't hear that in Iran. You don't hear that. In, well, it, 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 mostly from fear, not not because they don't they don't exist, not because these people don't don't believe in that, but because their regimes they live under, even if they look pseudo democratic, are very oppressive. No one's by the way. No one is protesting that uh, in the oppressed suppressed. Uh, uh, discourse happening in the United States. And um, and so we have no allies, but they're all around us coming from Iran, and it all comes from Iran's um, regional aspiration vis-a-vis uh, uh, the, the more moderate countries that have normalized relationships with Israel, that have chosen to be the pro-American side of the Middle East. And that progress is very... Um, Alarming for Iran. And all of this, I believe, the, not conspiracy, I believe the theory saying we have had some good years in making normalization uh, accords with UAE, Bahrain, Sudan, Morocco, and Saudi Arabia was on its way, and that uh, was too much for them. And this war is taking it back. But by the way, I think their assessment of where the Arab countries would be on this war was a bit off, and I think they're very, um, they were very surprised by that because I think they thought all of the Arab world would side by the Palestinians in this issue, and they haven't. A lot of them are still on the fence or quiet or helping Israel. Either. Is
0: this? Uh, I mean, I presume that there's a separation here between the publics of those countries and the leadership. What you're kind of talking is about is the leadership um, isn't so enthusiastic about Hamas. Um, And what Hamas did, whereas the public of those countries might be more sympathetic to Hamas or anyone who's seen to resist Israel.
1: I haven't seen polls about the public. Yeah. I know we're not very popular in in, in some of the public. Palestinian people are not very popular in the Arab world. Uh, Palestinian people are not accepted as refugees in the Arab world. There's not one Arab country that said, you know what, you're being bombed. Come on over here. Palestinians share a border with Egypt. Egypt hasn't opened that border for their brother Palestinians. Neither has Lebanon. Neither has it. Nowhere. I think the only place in the world up till now that has offered them refugee status is Scotland or something like that. And, uh, you know, people have to ask themselves why. I know the answer to that. Um,
0: what are some of the ways? So if October 6th status quo was intolerable in those senses, in those places, what, if any, are senses that... The stuff that Israel can control itself, that governs itself, um, that those things are now kind of rendered, or some aspects look intolerable now. Looking back, some whether it's you know is is the West Bank as as it stands now, the settlements, is that a tolerable condition going forward, um, given the geopolitics of the region?
1: Let's put it the other way around. Up until October seventh, there was a large group of Israelis that said, "We have you know." As long as the settlements are in the West Bank, it'll be very hard to form a Palestinian state. But now what Hamas has uh, created is a bigger group of Israelis saying, you know that if we leave the West Bank, it'll turn into Gaza. And if we leave the West Bank, that's 10 kilometers from Tel Aviv. Right. And if they're going to start digging under the West Bank and creating a terror infrastructure, we won't have the ability to deal with that's uh, that's a, a direct threat on Ben Gurion Airport and on our airspace and we always said we need we, we want peace we want coexistence and we need to check it through the prism of our security that was like a lefty sentence in Israel we need to do everything in our power to live in peace it just needs to be through a funnel of our security and what happened and changed it shifted in the majority of Israelis on October 7th is first of all we need to be secure and we we don't believe anyone here wants us to be secure and uh, as long as we don't believe that we're going to deal with security only and you're going to have to work very hard to prove to us that you're you have that you're willing to uh accept us here and to coexist with us and i'm I'm sure any solution in the near future will have to be a demilitarized solution after October 7th and I'm sure we're going to get the f- a large amount of support from the world because of that.
0: Demilitarized both in Gaza and the West Bank?
1: Definitely. So what is that? Demilitarized basically means you can have a police and self-govern violence in your region, but you can't have an army. Uh, You can't have an army. You can't have army presence on the border. You can't secure a border. Uh, We have to be able to control, uh, militarily speaking, your abilities, because otherwise... We we understand your aspirations. Every poll shows that if there were re-elections in Gaza right now, Hamas would win the elections. Every poll shows there are re-elections in the West Bank right now. Hamas would win the re-election. I think seventy percent of residents of Gaza justify October seventh. October seventh. I remind everyone listening was a Holocaust-type massacre. And they justify it. And these are our neighbors, 70% of. And it, the, you don't hear the opposite of them saying, listen, just leave us alone, like we say, and have your country and give us ours. And we, can, we don't have to be friends. We can stop trying to kill each other. We accept the fact that you guys are here. You accept the fact that we got, we're, we're here. Even Netanyahu accepted that thing. In 2009, I think, it was a Barilan speech where he said two states... Arab leaders don't say that. That has to be now a condition for us to go forward because until that happens, we're all going to be very suspicious and on self-defense all the time. All the time. That's how traumatic uh, that day was. Until, you know, God willing, we eliminate Hamas and there's a new, uh, also Hezbollah, and there's a new regional change And the new regional change starts leadership that is a bold leadership that we can do coexistence with. Our biggest um, uh, tragedy in that aspect, and it's the Palestinians' tragedy as well, but it's their fault, is the lack of courageous leaders on their side. We've had throughout 75 years of Israel's existence amazing leaders and horrible leaders. The amazing leaders created possibilities for coexistence uh, and, and were willing to sacrifice and, and be bold. They've never had that. We've never been lucky to have an MBZ from the Emirates in Palestine saying, you know what? I don't care about what's happened up till now. Let's make a deal. Let's look forward. Let's do something. Never. And if we had one, I'm, I'm pretty sure we'd make peace with him because every person around the region that's ever came to Israel and said, we'd like to have peace with you has never heard no. We had to give back Sinai uh, and made peace with Egypt. We had to give back parts of Jordan and made peace with Jordan. We did the Oslo Accords, gave them um, the Palestinians uh, some kind of authority in the West Bank. we disengaged from Gaza, we signed the uh, Abraham Accords we we, we, we we had talks with Syria, you know and we have to deal with crazy people also. it's the people we have to deal with are Bashar Assad. It's not a fun negotiation to have um
0: as part of that, though, um you said you know people have to um, respect obviously and recognize your right to live and coexist in the same bits of land in that in your mind, does that now include they need to recognize the settlers to be able to stay in the West Bank, or do you have some kind of malleability about the expansion of Israeli settlements in the, the West Bank. The
1: justification for settlers to stay in the West Bank today by majority of Israelis derives from their fear of our security situation. They're the tip if of the spear. The, the, the most the, Israelis, Israelis in every uh, in, in every um, fundamental research are willing to make huge concessions in order to have two states. If they are convinced, they'll be safe. If they will convince to, uh, they'll be safe, took a huge hit on October 7th. If you'd ask before October 7th, most of Israelis would, you know, be willing to take out most... There are three areas where everyone agrees the settlements are too big already. They have to stay there. We can give land in in, in return for that land, but generally take out all the other settlements. That was the mainstream idea in Israel, and it even had a majority. Not a huge majority, but a majority. Today, the Palestinians would have to prove how, how we'd be safe without presence there after what happened in uh, Gaza. That's now, but we're mid- middle of war. So we have to finish this war. I can come back to the podcast and tell you how it ended and what the— uh, I'm
0: not going to let you sleep on you just threw Hezbollah in, <laughs> into the war, too. I haven't heard that one. as an explicit war aim yet, <laughs> left of center. Uh, you haven't heard it? Uh, no, I mean, unless I'm missing. I haven't—I mean, the aim of the war is to remove Hamas um, I was in, and I, I was in, provide I, security. but
1: I was in the north of Israel two weeks ago, in Shlomi and Hanita, everyone that lives there left. There's yeah. just a few soldiers. It it's looks like 10,000 like people or so or more, or, or, more, 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 or 100,000 maybe. Something like that. Yeah. It looks like a scene from Platoon and Hezbollah are shooting rockets. Every five minutes you hear a boom and it lands in the mountains and the mountains are forest mountains and there are fires and no one is going to go live ba- back there to live without a solution. Now there's a UN resolution from a long time ago, 1701 the deems Hezbollah can't come closer than i think 40 kilometers from the border if if they move back there won't be a war but if they stay on the border and keep fighting i think it's in israel's interest just like hamas to make sure they don't have the ability to do what hamas did because the aspiration... 100,000 rockets dude I know, I know i know i'm not saying the price isn't won't be high i'm just saying that you know it was a reminder to everyone that we have an existential threat, not just from, we have one from Gaza, we have one from the West Bank, we have one from uh, the North, because they're all, you said they're proxies, they're all proxies, they all have the same aspirations, they have different abilities, uh, militarily speaking, military abilities, but it doesn't matter. We need to make sure we do it, we do what we can. Uh, We also need to see what the world will go along with. It's, It's something we need to take into consideration up to a certain point. But yeah, even if it's not spoken, that is one of Israel's uh, war goals to make sure the north is also safe.
0: Right, the w- north is safe is sounds better. Uh, well, no, I mean it's just it's it's slightly less ambitious than removing Hezbollah.
1: I agree. Yeah. I don't, but I w- but you know, Hezbollah I think in America thinks is a terror organization, full blown terror organization. Uh, yeah, it's, you're
0: not bearing the lead there. I think people are,
1: and 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 they're a terror organization that live exclusively on our border and we're a traumatized country now that it's going to, and it's going to be very hard for us to cope with that existence. And I know it's a big, it's a big goal, but I'm sure in the heart of every Israeli, that's a goal. Um, so not nine 11
0: uh, comparisons, which you love. Um, but one, <laughs> one of the things that nine 11 did in our country, I think, and um, it's not that an outrageous of, change, uh, of change, you. change the
1: word to freedom fries. That Freedom fries.
0: As someone with a French wife, that was uh, that was pretty funny uh, to live through. I once had um, true story in uh, Silver Lake, California, which is not a hotbed of like anti-French xenophobia. <laughs> we put up uh, an American flag and a French flag during the, the middle of the, all that kind of thing. Because we were a French-American household, um, old, shitty like wooden bungalow house that we lived in, and someone set fire to that, to the French uh, flag. They're, like, not having it in, like, 98% Democratic Silver Lake. It was a rough time. But as part of that, like, you know, we invaded Iraq because of 9-11, even though that was a non sequitur, Mm. more or less. Mm. Um, So, like, our sense of what we needed to do to make sure that that trauma didn't happen again turned out to be, um, from my point of view and a lot of other people's point of view, um, uh, a drastic overreach uh, destabilizing stuff and also changing some of the ways that we govern ourselves in America came much more of a i mean you know more than we started from as a like a police state you know tsa bullshit whatever else um are you worried about that as an israel is israel worried about that are th- is there any sense of like hey guys are we we're not going to like get weird and make some really bad decisions here and become you know people we who- don't
1: have uh Israel and America are allies, have shared values, shared interests, da, 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 da. but we're not the same country. Yeah. We're a very small country. We're very, very small. Our aspirations are solely to be left alone. America is the leader of the free world, or aspires to be, or should be, shouldn't be, depends on your politics, but for a certain point in time, leader of the free world, leading Western democracies in an era. You wouldn't think that is right, what would happen, but it is in an era where the idea of a democracy is not uh, given. And its uh, enemies are not democracies, and in many aspects, that gives them an upper hand in the fight against America. America has an interest, it's a true interest, in strengthening democracies against theocracies. And... That conducts their decisions. They make them right. They make them wrong. I'm not even going into the decision about Iraq. I do know the fight in Mosul, no one was protesting here about. No one was asked. No one, no one was demanding a ceasefire in Mosul. Even in whatever, whatever was they, there.
0: They didn't close down the Manhattan Bridge they 100 ruin, yards from here they as they did they didn't the didn't other day. They
1: did ruin Christmas in Rockefeller Center no. and take out American flags. Yeah. And a lot of innocent people died in Mosul. Yeah. Right, but when it's Jews, it's different. Uh, I'm not afraid we make what we will think is a mistake because we are, again, we because we're on the defense and because we live in that neighborhood. It's very different deciding the political debate here about what is America's role in the world. Do we need to go to the other side of the world to fight fights to make sure democracy and our interests oil, not oil, Russia, China, whatever? That's one debate. Do I need to make sure people around me that all want to kill me uh, feel I'm strong enough to defend myself? Is a totally different mindset. Uh, Everything I've seen up till now was justified. Not just justified. I say with one hand behind our back. People talk about ceasefire and the bombardment and innocent people being killed, which is horrible. Innocent people being killed is horrible. Most Israelis don't want any innocent person being killed. Ever. But every country, if another country makes you choose between defending your innocent people to their innocent people, every life-wanting country goes first to defend their people. That's the that's the job of the country. That's the that's their basic most it's like the most basic thing a municipality does is clean the streets even though they do festivals and whatnot.
0: Wait, you were in New York, so you know that's not true.
1: That's... It's their job. It's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's their job. It's what, it's what they're here for, yeah. whether they do it or not. The country is here to create security for everyone together, for everyone to be able to live. And we're at the point where our people aren't secure. And if, this, if we wanted to end this war, regardless of civilian casualties on the other side, it would end in three days. And if this war was happening with any other two countries in the world, Probably wouldn't see any any demonstrations here or any uh, 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 lashback. How do you say backlash? Backlash uh, from the progressive left because I've seen them. You know, and if and the, the the sexual violence, sexual violence in Ukraine was automatically condemned by the UN. Sexually, sexual violence in Boko Haram was automatically condemned by the UN. Sexual violence in Israel, the UN said, we need to. Establish a committee to investigate if it I, happened. I,
0: th- I think they finally tweeted against it today. Oh, not, if that. not mistake so they like edit, the, edit this out. Then day, I want to sound smart. No, 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 no. Today. I mean, actually, that's uh, a <laughs> uh, and and like it was in, in a, a lot of uh, mealy mouth uh, language. We'll talk about that that a little bit more. That sort of you know the one hand tied around the back. This is the Israeli relationship with the United States is paramount. It's very it's huge. And this is something that you dealt with when you were consul general mm-hmm, here mm-hmm. in New York City, in the biggest Jewish city in the world, right? Yep. yep, um, yep. Um, and a place that has incredible range of opinions about Israel from people from Jewish people who live here and non-Jewish people alike. Um, and uh, and who come from all kinds of different points of view. You once said in an interview something along the lines of like you feared that you that Israel is beginning to lose the US a mm-hmm, little bit in terms mm-hmm. of public um do you fear that less or more today? How does it how? I feel
1: I feel that less on a short-term right scale because Hamas in a you know I'm saying this ironically but Hamas did a big favor by reminding people that we're trying to gaslight and say no you that, no we we want to annihilate Jews we want to kill all the Jews you shouldn't live here we're going to keep on trying to kill you as long as we're here that made it very hard for people here to say uh, it's a balanced situation. So short-term, that's the support you see. Jews are united, senior politicians united for, towards Israel. There was a resolution in Congress this week that past 411 to 1, right? That's very one-sided. Short-term, I'm, 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 I'm more secure now than I was two months ago. Uh, Long-term, when the generation that is now 18 to 22, 23 years old, when they will be... Uh, in position to make decisions, uh, I'm more worried. Those because, poll numbers are brutal because ignorance is huge, and because they are self educating themselves in different ways than me and you did. And it's but most a lot of young people in Israel in America uh, are educate themselves about foreign policy or about many issues through social media, and not through the news. They don't watch CNN, and social media is built with an algorithm to, in a way that you only see a certain prism of what interests you and uh, there's no editors on it and there's no uh, accountability on it and uh, people are saying crazy things and it's it's become... And, and and the biggest platform for the younger people is TikTok, which is also Chinese and is proven on every major research you see to be um, a kind of censor for things it doesn't like. You know this? Yeah, educate me. If you look at TikTok... Uh, versus Instagram on the uh, issue of cats. There are uh, two times more impressions or cats hashtags on Instagram than on Twitter. Okay? On Twitter or TikTok. On TikTok. TikTok yeah. On TikTok. Sorry, on TikTok. If if it's sandwiches, two times more. Okay. Every Almost everything is two times more. If it's Palestinians and Israelis, it's four times more on TikTok. Uh, if it's anti, um, t- if it's pro Taiwan stuff, it's, it's uh, uh, 179th the times. Um, if it's uh, a general uh, criticism towards Chinese government, it's almost non existent. And it, you see, everything is um, of a certain proportion between TikTok and other uh, platforms. And when it has a political agenda that's relevant for the Chinese, they it's proven in numbers that it differs very much. How, why, that was never proven. Um, right. I can send you the, the, the research. It's, yeah, very, it sounds very, fascinating. it's very, very interesting and very, very troubling. And that's the number one growing social network where young people in America are getting their news from. So they're getting very twisted ideas. Um, yes. Um, regarding Judaism, Islam, history, but also
0: I would say that uh, that's true, and uh, or let's let's uh, uh, assume for a second that's true. Um, but the mainstream, I think, of democratic foreign policy circles um, over the last fifteen twenty years has moved in a direction of, uh, to use a horrible verb, uh, centering um, the Israeli Palestinian conflict as as a root of a lot of the trouble. Um, in the Middle East, and um, and there's a generalized view. Maybe that's been challenged now since October seventh, but that the U.S. is tilting too much on the Israel side. They don't understand that Arab countries are. Uh, they hate the occupation of the West Bank, and they feel like this needs to be resolved. Um, and this is why Joe Biden is meeting with half of his, you know, staffers to try to like yeah. buck them up.
1: Well, the problem um, that's, with staffers, th- th- they're it's like a funnel. Okay. The the more senior you become as a staffer, the more open, the more... um, uh, uh, Sorry. The more senior you become, the more opportunities you have to try and shift policy. Right. And that's when you learn firsthand, you kind of grasp reality vis-a-vis ideals. And then the the smaller the funnel, the more pro-Israel people become. Because they've, they don't, everyone should be pro-peace and pro-self-determination. And occupation is a horrible word. And limiting the rights of others is a horrible thing in 2023. If you don't feel that generally, something's wrong with you. But if you dive into it and you try to change it and you learn that the reason it's not changing isn't the Israelis, then, then you become a bit more uh, uh, critical to that approach. If you look at the... Uh, opportunities Israel had and the opportunities the Palestinian authority had to create peace and occupation what not m- more times and less Israel has been initiating and the Palestinians haven't lost a chance to lose a chance to to do it and then the retaliation is always stronger it becomes harder and harder to to convince people in Israel that it's possible when you give people when you try you know el barak offered 98% everything uh, presidents flew in here and out all the time, and it's also legitimate for these staffers that have been um, that have lived throughout years of just Netanyahu and his policy to say, "Listen, this government, this specific government, or this specific prime minister—they're not going in the in the path." They're not moving in the path. Towards. Yeah, and
0: each new government seems a little bit more extremist in certain ways than the previous
1: one. And... No, but I got to tell you something. Between them, the government that sent me over here was a left-leaning uh, change government with a very diverse government with an Arab fraction sitting in that government, uh, and 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 nothing else barged moved on the Palestinian side. It wasn't better. That that that's that that's a fact. And now. If you go into it and you say, guys, do you think in a State Department, uh, Israel and Palestine should ex- coexist next to each other uh, as two separate states? Most people will say yes. But when you say, uh, do you think Israel has a right to be one of those states? All of them will say yes. And when the Palestinians challenge that and say, we don't think you should be here, then that that they need to make a choice. They can't be on the fence anymore. Either Today, if you're in the State Department, I know it's not the case. I know a lot of them are pressuring... Uh, Joe Biden, I saw the 500 staffer letter say, I I saw everything. I'm just saying that if you go into conversation with these people, the ones that really have to deal with it, it's very hard for them to find answers for what's happening right now because they can't justify October 7th. They can't justify the idea that um, uh, Israel shouldn't exist. If you tell them who should lead the Palestinian people and who do you want to be your client to deal with? Yeah, it's not really. They have no name. Yeah. Which is sad. It's, that's the tragedy I talked about before. So if after all that, they have this anti-Israel sentiment, that's a problem. They need to deal with uh the, they have to ask themselves where it comes but from. But it's also an operational pro- problem for Israel, right? Like, <laughs> of course uh, it is.
0: Like uh, was Daniel Goldis' uh, book? I forget what it was called. Uh, My, yeah Gold? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I might be uh, massacring the name, but um, just sort of the divide that's opening up between um, Israel and the diaspora um, uh, politically um, yeah. that's a functional problem that's not, a, that's not an insignificant issue to again, Israel in the conduct of its policy again,
1: it depends what happens in Israel yeah. the, the, the gap is closing very very fast, when anti-semitism rises in the states and in Europe that gap closes, when anti-semitism rises in the states and in Europe, people look at Israel and say, oh okay, that's a reminder of why we have bigger enemies, maybe we shouldn't fight amongst ourselves, and what the diaspora has been doing for Israel since October 7th is unprecedented. Uh, explain, fun-
0: tell a little bit about that. I mean, we saw Everyone the, is fundraising. We Saw the march of 280,000 people in Washington, D.C., which is and very mar- impressive. And, and,
1: and events here, and uh, politicians reuniting to back Israel, even if they are from very activist left areas. Chuck Schumer
0: and- gave a, a
1: tub thumper of a speech the other day. Jerry Nadler, Jerry Nadler wrote only a few months ago, a document saying we might not have shared values anymore in Haaretz, and now answered like Marco Rubio yesterday. He said, we we're not stopping till Hamas is out. He's fired. No, we're not stopping till Hamas is out. To the same crowd that he wrote for, uh, uh, and um, Dan Goldman, the new congressman, I think he's your congressman, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. And a lot of people that weren't very oriented with Israel are now speaking towards Israel. There are fundraisers all over the city donating endless amounts of money to Israeli... Uh, uh, to, to the IDF, to orphan families, and people are giving everything they can to be to be part of it. And that's that's diaspora Jews. Also, Israelis living abroad. This is the prettiest thing about Israel, I think, of all things. Israelis living abroad. The day after the war started, were on planes into Israel to fight the war. Into Israel to fight the war. Uh, they 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 they. One hundred and thirty percent of the people that were called in for reserve. Reserves came in hundred and thirty percent more than they asked for came in it does it doesn't exist in other countries. Um, so now the diaspora feels closer and I think in the aftermath of this war when there'll be a new government, it will have to seize the opportunity to rebuild the relationship with Jewish diaspora because it's proved Jewish diaspora has proven uh, that it's part of the Jewish people in Israel have, and Israel and Israelis have proven that they're they're fighting for everyone. So it's an it's it's a it's a pivotal moment that if we can take advantage of, we will rebuild something that was drifting afar because of politics. Um, look, <clears throat> America is the most divided state in the world politically, country in the world politically, politically. They can't agree about anything. If you look at Congress twenty years back and now, the ability for bipartisan laws to be passed and all that and it's the worst shape it's ever been. And in that, Israel used to be the only thing that was a consensus in a country that nothing is a consensus anymore. So that also stopped up until October 7th. And you felt we weren't a consensus. We were becoming partisan. There was Netanyahu's visit to Congress during Obama. There were many things that happened uh, that made Israel less consensual, less bipartisan. And the Jews in America uh, were also divided more, defined define themselves more, by if they were Democrats or Republicans, then their relationship with Israel. And again, if you look at those numbers and look at the support before and after October 7th, it's changed. It's changed.
0: I want to go through a few things that I hear from people, usually critics of Israel in the wake of October 7th. Um, One is that Netanyahu and or some people in Likud over the years have had a divide and conquer strategy when it comes to Hamas and the Palestinian Authority, saying in some kind of 2019 speech somewhere that if you want to make sure that there isn't a like a, a unified Palestinian state, boost Hamas now, um, and that keeps a divide with the Palestinian Authority, is that true? Is it significant? What should we think of it?
1: First of all, it's true because there are p- p- senior politicians that o- said that on record. Our Secretary of Treasury said that on record. He said Hamas is the monster you know. Yeah. Right. It'll never be acceptable. Blah blah blah. But yeah, uh, it sometimes with politicians. You don't know if they're uh, leading or reacting. Okay? We disengaged Gaza and gave it over to the Palestinian authority. The person that got control over Gaza when we left was Abu Mazin. The Palestinians in Gaza basically kicked him out, elected Hamas democratically, even though Hamas's charter didn't change. You know? If you go to school, the, we have kids there that have been, they're 16, when we left Gaza, they were born, and all of their schooling was anti-Israel schooling, really anti-Israel schooling. I told them all of Israel are terrorists, they all want to kill you. This is what they've got. If you die, you'll go to heaven. 72 virgins are, there's nothing better than dying, for, for because life only starts then, it was indoctrined by people that were voted in by the Palestinian people. They kicked Abu Mazen out. And then... When Hamas was the one we had to deal with, you started hearing these tough politicians saying, uh, Hamas is better for us, you know, because if they would have said Hamas is worse, it's on your shift that Hamas became powerful. So it's kind of a chicken and an egg thing. And as I said before in this interview, there'll be a time where we'll sit down in Israel and investigate back. And if, 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 if we find that that was true, there'll be a repercussion to that. And if it's right, it's bad. And if it's right, but but unlike there, at least half the country disagrees. Because in any poll you'd see do we want a strong enemy or do we want someone that we can make peace with? Most people want someone to make peace with. Am I sure politicians throughout time made these calculations? The right-wing politicians in Israel saying listen, I need them to be because otherwise I'll be forced into doing things that uh, yes. I think they think. If I want to judge them, if I want to judge them to better, is they look at the Palestinians as a security threat to Israel. And they want to make sure during their time that they're not forced by the world to make concessions that will make the security situation in Israel worse. And every example they have to give, and me coming from the left saying this, they're right. Because Oslo didn't make it better, and I was a huge fan of Oslo, in an aspect that made it worse. And the disengagement didn't make it better in an aspect that made it worse. And if they strengthened Hamas, they created a monster, and if they wouldn't have strengthened it, I I don't know what would have happened. The whole course of history would have been different, for better or for worse. It hasn't changed me to a point where I don't want a two-state solution. It hasn't changed me to a point where I don't believe that in the long run, I want to live in peace side by side and everyone around me should have freedom to live however they want. But I'm, I'm more skeptical as that they as a group want it than I have been. Um,
0: I think that words like uh, open air prison and uh, apartheid, especially when applied to Gaza, are silly um, and inaccurate. Um, the smarter critique that I've seen people make, or at least one that I don't know the answer to, so I'm interested to ask you, is that, um, yes, uh, Israel, like Egypt, uh, engaged in a blockade uh, of Gaza. It's what happens when you kidnap your neighbor's citizens and fire rockets at them and launch various Mm -hmm. wars. Um, But also that Israel uh, kind of deliberately put the squeeze on water, on power, on the ability to do agriculture and fishing. Um, things that are of sort of common regional land use types of questions. What's the veracity of that?
1: Why do you think, what's the claim? Why did Israel put the squeeze on water? Yeah,
0: or or like they put put so much uh, squeeze on it that it made it uh, impossible for Gaza to be self-sufficient economically.
1: Any time in history, the security situation in Gaza was safer for Israelis, there were less restrictions. That's it. At the peak of it, tens of thousands of Palestinians exited Gaza every day to work in Israel.
0: Including some people who went to these kibbutzim and... To
1: work in Israel. Yeah. Every day. The tragedy is that it hasn't developed more. But I promise you, if the last 17 years from Gaza were Palestinians trying to make Gaza a better place to live in, there would be agriculture, there would be water, there would be an airport, because there was an airport. When, when we left Gaza, there was an airport in Gaza. They built an airport. It was an international airport. It was called Air Palestine. And uh, there were items on economic news. Our Israelis are Israelis going to leave El Al because Air Palestine is going to be cheaper? And then the first, and we had to bombard that airport because I think a few months later, they started firing rockets at Israel. And we said, we can't have people land there and give them supplies because they're using them. to. But they had the chance. It, every time we could, they were given the chance to start a new civil life. And it's, no one asked them, why didn't you do that? But the true answer is they were led by people that don't want to live in Gaza. That's not their thing. They want to die as martyrs and they want to kill Jews. And it comes from a very fundamentalist uh, religious place and the tragedy is that the majority that I'm sure exists of people that just want to work, make more money, live a normal life are, are inner, internally oppressed in many Arab countries by the way by by by, by di- dictatorships or regimes that are um, bad and we happen to to live by one of them. It's not an open air prison and it had all the abilities and uh, as you said the When we opened the gate, look what happened, and they have a border to uh, to Egypt, which is also not opening it. There are reasons. So
0: you're running for mayor. Deputy mayor, but it's some kind of weird power sharing agreement that you're going to lunge, <laughs> lunge for power after the long term incumbent who you had run against unsuccessfully in the past, or whatever. I don't know what you're doing. Uh, but you you keep resigning and then running again and doing what is What's 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 your what's your long game politically I, here?
1: I, I, I um, look, I grew up politically in a camp that opposes uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, and I was appointed to many things in my life. In moments that were politically right. But every time um, I was challenged morally by a, by a political situation that changed, I, I I resigned. It's not every time, it's two times, right? <laughs> it's just, two times. Just was, the two times. Look, I had the worst job in the world and the best job in the world. And the I resigned of from the Minister of Tourism, is kind of stupid. Minister of Tourism job. during COVID. <laughs> It's Minister of Tourism during COVID when all the airports were closed, no one was flying anywhere, and the industry was falling apart. And I still did that, and I still worked hard until the point where I thought we had to dismantle the Netanyahu government, and my colleagues didn't agree with me. The second job, Consul General of Israel to New York, is an extremely uh, uh, desired posting
0: you messed up there,
1: and no, I didn't. <laughs> Come on, I didn't because because I you represent the government, and I I, right. I want to see. I always want to look in the mirror and say I like the person I'm looking at, and the government that appointed me changed, and the other government, I, I even said I'll, I'll work with them, no problem. But then they they started judicial overhaul. All of my friends were in the streets protesting. There was a true fear of what Israel was going to be, and I had to represent that government in events in New York, and I'd be asked. What do you think about what's happening? And I had a choice to say, I think it's, look, I had a messaging board. Uh, I think it's fine. You don't understand. Or to say what I believed. And I can't not say what I believe, even if it means I have to give up the driver, the security guards, the big apartment in Soho. That was a good apartment. Cocktails. That was a great apartment. The the events, the media, the glamour, the fun, the steaks, the burgers, <laughs> the, the shools, <laughs> the, the candle lightings, the Hanukkah candle lightings, everything. I came for four years. I loved Every second of it, I felt I was doing true Zionism in America. At a point where uh, people were it, were needing needing a reminder of, uh, of of the relationship, and I also uh, harvested serious relationships here. And I felt I, I felt I did a good job. I didn't want to leave, but I'm not, you know. But I, but I'm but I'm happy to be at a point where I had important uh, roles that I was never afraid to leave mom. And I'm sure I'll, I'll I'm sure I'll have them again in the future. I'm just uh, hope it'll be in a country that's. More united with a stronger government and um and yeah. let's
0: face it, one of the, you know, main jobs available to a left of center Israeli politician right now is mayor of Tel Aviv or deputy <laughs> <W. laughs> mayor <laughs> of <laughs> Tel Aviv.
1: Right? Hey, there's a safe I don't as think as anyone a... right now in Israel feels left of center, by yeah. the way. I think I, I think people feel uh we're defending ourselves. In a war, and we're all together, and we all feel the same. Basically, it's uh, it's very different. You have a luxury when everything is safe to fight about details and things, but when it's not, those political definitions let, become less and less important. I think.
0: Um, I'll l- l- set you free uh, here after this. But um, what do you um, what are you worried about the most uh, in the in the short term with all of this? And, uh, and do you see any reason to think that your long-professed desire for a two-state solution has a possibility of happening?
1: Short term, the thing I, I worry about most is that we still have 130 hostages in Gaza. Um, I, 240 people were abducted. I, I don't remember something like that. You know, the, Sitting in bed, kids, parents, grandparents— pulled out of bed into Gaza and the stories coming out of there from some of the hostages that were released are horrific stories so if there's not an hour goes by I don't think of those people and how we'll get them out and if we'll get them out and what 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 will be their future that worries me very 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 much I'm wearing this dog tag that says uh, my heart is in Gaza Um, my heart is captive in Gaza and uh, all all of Israel is wearing that thinking of them that's number one number two I have a daughter and a wife and, and half an hour before I caught here to your address, there was an alarm in Tel Aviv and they had to go to the bomb shelter. So that's an existential thing you fear all the time. But the bigger fear than both those things is if we lose the war. Because that's the end. If we don't come out of this secure, very secure, it's the end of Israel. And to your second question about another state next to us, if if this war ends in a definitive way, if the world stands behind us, and lets us, quote-unquote, do the job till the end, make sure everyone who's bad is eliminated, we will then be at the best starting point we've been for years to try and have a agreement that will allow self-determination and freedom to the Palestinian people. But it has to come from a place of strength and security. Otherwise, it will not hold. All right.
0: Well, thank you so much for coming by, and uh, you should come to New York more often. Send me a ticket. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Thanks all for listening, and we'll get you back again here soon. Bye.